Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Carlos. Bienvenido a Side One. ¿Recibiste mi orden? Claro, te van a cargar la troca. Un cafecito, una donita. ¿Y la figura? Es que se quede redonda. Saiguan no solo es el distribuidor más grande del país de productos de landscaping, irrigación y luces. También somos un amigo en quien contar. Valoramos a nuestros clientes latinos porque son una fuerza mayor de esta industria a través de esfuerzo y sudor. Por eso cuando estás en Saiguan, estás entre amigos. Saiguan, juntos más fuertes. Hello, my name is Dave Henry and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 15 of the No Encore podcast. It's a podcast about music. I feel like I never say that at the start of the episode. So if you're a newcomer, that's what you're going to listen to. You're going to listen to some music. People talk about music. That's what it is. However, this is um, what I would like to determine a... The sound of that can opening should indicate this is a very special episode, much like that episode of Saved by the Bell, where that character became addicted to... Was it painkillers, I guess? She wants to be... In, in the band. I haven't revised my Saved by the Bell recently. Well, so the, the, there's sure. an infamous episode of Saved by the Bell where Elizabeth Berkeley's character becomes obsessed with it, caffeine. I, I, I think it's caffeine tablets. And she breaks down and there's a big emotional scene where she starts trying to sing I'm So Excited and she starts crying while singing it and it's really emotional. And that's what you're comparing this episode the of the messages, podcast to. The messages those shows are generally shoved down your throat. Remember uh, Tiffany from California Dreams getting hooked on steroids and her, their depiction of of her growing strength was that she was able to pop open a window than no other character could in the in the max. Yeah, this is the after school special episode of No Encore. This is this is the the, the California dreams, the usual save by the bell that you've tuned in for. Exactly, and uh, that voice that you're hearing there is the lovely Dean Van Nguyen, an excellent journalist who makes his grand return to the No Encore studio. So, woo! There we go. Polite applause all around for Dean. Thanks for coming back, buddy. Pleasure. And as with me as always, my li- my leading light, the sun and my sun and stars, Colin O'Regan. Well, how's it going, Khaleesi? 
Thanks. He actually waved at me. Colm is still not getting the hang of this being an audio-only medium. But, okay, Colm, tell the listeners what this episode is. So basically, yeah, recording very at, at the very start of July, we figure it's time to look back at the year so far. Um, the halfway point, we're going to review uh, the big stories, the big music, um, the best albums, best songs, and all the rest of what's gone on uh, in the music year. And, and, of course, it's not just the three of us in the studio who are going to be doing this, but uh, we've got a lot of friends involved as well. Like this. This is John from Weco Corners, and my favourite album of the year is The Life of Pablo by Kanye West. Kanye! Uh, after Beautiful Dark Twist of Fantasy, I was very excited about what Kanye West would do next, and then he released Yeezus, which did not stimulate me on any level. And I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm just getting older. I'm not into that kind of music anymore. You know, I don't understand what, what you know, future music is. Uh, and Having heard The Life of Pablo, I really honestly feel like Jesus was just a palate cleanser uh, because he released Dark Fantasy, which was one of the most incredible albums of this millennium so far. And it's like, how do you follow that up with anything other than a shambolic, uh, noisy mess uh, to try and, you know, just, I suppose, clean the boards or something? But uh, I really feel like that, Ghost has been put to rest uh, because Life of Pablo is, while it's painfully immature, some of the jokes are just ridiculous and, you know, the low-level misogyny is is kind of hard to reconcile. Uh, just some of the beats are incredible. Um, no More Parties in LA. I don't know how you come up with a song like that. Uh, the guest appearances on it are incredible. Uh, and I just love it. And it's the album I've listened to most. So I suppose it's my favourite album of the year. And that's probably as good a place to start as Annie. The saga revolving around the release of The Life of Pablo uh, was an on-running news story before it then became an on-running album. Uh, it's obviously one of the landmark releases of the year. And I know that both of you guys are particular fans of it, Dean. Yeah, it's it's a great album, and uh, I think we're waiting for for there to be a drop off in in the quality of Kanye's work. Um, it doesn't make sense that he should still be this good, or that it even in the context of musical history, it's it's rare to find someone who's been this good for this long. I kind of start Kanye's to think of Kanye's peak around two thousand when he when he produced half the Blueprint or a whole bunch of the Blueprint. Um, so you're talking 16 years there's not too many other artists who you could say have had their peak for that long um, and everything says that this should every everything that's following Kanye around suggests that his music should be declining in quality um, I don't think it's his best album but I like the way it kind of occupies its own unique space in his catalogue um, I think with Kanye he's, he's, he's always been a, a huge perfectionist when it comes to his work this doesn't feel in any way perfect it's uh it kind of reflects it's 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 telling how how he's made so many changes to it uh because it felt like he he might have bowed a little bit to pressure to put it out when he did um but to me it, it, it so much more feels like a kind of a sketchbook of his thoughts um there's kind of half half finished songs on there stray verses he kind of reins in all these different unique sounds all these different guest spots i mean you've got the weekend doing his best vocal probably since House of Balloons. Um, so yeah, it's it's just this uh, kind of I guess mad notebook of of this genius 
um, and, and a pretty good indication of where he is in, in his, his kind of artistic life right now. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, Pablo feels to me kind of like the antithesis of something like 808s and Heartbreak, which is such a streamlined, cold, calculated record. Um, I, I think it's Brian's my favorite Kanye record, but like this, as you say, feels like a living kind of sketchbook. I'm not, I'm still not thrilled about the fact that like every week there's an update or there's a new song or there's and i kind of feel like i should be i feel like i should be much more on board with that i should be respecting the album for what it is it is kanye west changing the art form of what an album is in an era when the album has lost an awful lot of power because obviously playlists and various different streaming services kind of go that way and you know it's it's no longer the album is still powerful for a lot of people but not as powerful as it once was and on a wide wider kind of mainstream scale so i find myself kind of wondering why i'm not totally in love with what he's doing with this with it being as you say call him an ongoing thing in terms of what we got and in terms of what we kind of have at this point in time of speaking um i think it's terrific i love that it's so all over the place it feels like kanye's id just running amok and the actual quality of the songs even the ones that are clearly just unfinished ideas are so much far ahead of his contemporaries i kanye always gets a bad rap for his rapping I think this is an album where he sounds excellent. I, I, I think even when he uses lyrics that people have complained about, the most obvious ones on the record, for example, they're not going to work with someone else. They work totally with him because it is him. This is Kanye West at his most Kanye West. You're either in or you're out. And on this album, I'm very much in. I agree to a certain extent that it is Kanye being Kanye to a certain extent. Um, I, I must say... I wasn't overwhelmed by this album and I don't like it as much of a lot of his other works, partially because of some of the reasons that you guys outlined. It is a kind of a sketchbook of his thoughts. It is, you know, just an outpouring, it seems. But for me, Kanye's at his best when he's forced to actually try to marry the conflicting thoughts into one song or even into one verse. And at times throughout his career, it's some of the most striking things he's done when you can see him kind of being pulled in two opposite directions. Whereas I think with this album, it felt as though, I don't know, like he was just going to be more dictatorial, more autocratic. He wasn't going to give in to that sort of dichotomy as much. And uh, yeah, for me, it lost a little bit of power for that. Um, Some unrelenting bangers on the album, to be fair. And I think a few of them will probably be coming up later in the show when we talk about our favourite songs of the year. Um, In terms of hip-hop in general, this year, it's been pretty strong. And I guess last year was always going to be held up as kind of like a year where, you know, kind of a flagship year, really. But uh, this year hasn't exactly let the side down either. No, um, I think we're going through a period of major hip-hop inventiveness at the moment um i think if you kind of it's obviously still a very very young genre and if you chart its history there was a period about 10 or 12 years ago when when rap was about as bad as it's ever been um but in terms of the the, the amount of the creativity just the, just the overall quality of music um and I've, i'm i'm really into the the fact that in the us both coasts are kind of are 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 really um, reigniting their love of their of their geographical sounds. So you have, I think, in, I think in, in an internet era, we've kind of developed this kind of region-free methods of production, where everybody who uh, is kind of influenced by all the different sounds, uh, it's just kind of amalgamated into one. But now we have LA are, are embracing that that really you know G funk sound with with YG and. Um, and on, on the east, you have guys like Alchemist and, and even got, you know, Mob Deeper still around and Westside Gun, who I think I have on my albums list maybe for later. 
who are doing that really cold, hard kind of street sound. Um, it, to me, it's it's a genre where all the all the, the inventiveness is at the moment because we have it, we're at a time I think when indie rock is about as bad as it's ever been. But uh, <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Like it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's we'll be getting so that in a minute, but as you mentioned, uh, both coasts, uh, we went right down the middle to get someone else's opinion <laughs> on the year in rap. Uh, I talked to Vic Mensa last week and asked him what were his favourite albums of the year. Favourite albums in the past six months. I like YG's album. I mean, my first one is not an album, but it's my EP. There's a lot going on. My number one favorite. Second, I like YG's album. Um, let's see what else came out this year. Yeah, so at least I tried. <laughs> Comprehensive from Vic there. There's some props for your boy YG, who ranks number two behind Vic himself. <laughs> um, I will always respect someone who bigs himself up in that regard. I, I thought that was a wonderful gesture from Vic. Well done. And to be fair, about two <laughs> minutes later, uh, I think you found his. Uh, declarative answer of the soundtrack to Hamilton uh, which he's seen twice so you know if, if you're going to New York anytime soon maybe you'll be able to find out if you agree um, the other reason of course why Kanye's album was so prominently in the news was because it was exclusively through Tidal for a time for a time of course and uh, yet this is a moment where we mourn the loss of Craig for the week where uh, he could really weigh in but obviously yeah it was exclusive to Tidal it sounded as though all these changes and etc they were only going to be ever heard on Tidal that this was going to be the thing um, and obviously it, it's a model that's been used a bit this year uh, you had Drake going exclusively through Apple Music you had Beyonce who premiered her entire album on HBO um, Radiohead uh, were we're kind of holding all streaming services. Adele has, you know, as if though she needed help selling records, uh, completely withheld from streaming services for about seven months. It's definitely been a kind of an evolution in how musicians are using streaming services in the past 12 months. I feel like it's a very uninteresting war, to be honest with you. I kind of feel like it's not necessarily devaluing the album as a concept, but it's reducing it to an interesting commodity, even though I just said uninteresting. Interesting in the sense that this is not what I think an album should be. It shouldn't be this kind of bargaining chip. And I kind of feel that like that's what it is now. Uh, incidentally, what streaming services do we currently use? I'm, I recently got with Apple Music. Got with, like, at a disco. Um, I'm, I, I Did pay. you have your friend ask Apple Music for you? or <laughs> See my mate over there. Uh, Apple Music and Spotify are the two I currently uh, mess with, so to speak. Well, I think... Uh, aren't Apple in talks to buy Tidal? I saw suggestions about that, yeah. And it's an interesting one because I can remember when we did the uh, kind of review of the year in music last year uh, for a pet stuff on a kind of a standalone podcast, I kind of said that, yeah, this could very easily be a pattern where, especially because Tidal have such a roster of stars, that if it comes to exclusive releases and stuff, they are going to have a really, really powerful hand to play against Spotify and Apple, who are ultimately kind of standalone ventures where you don't have shareholders who are going to be producing, you know, the biggest albums of the year. It's, for me, I don't know. I mean, you you know, you said an album shouldn't be a bargaining chip, but at the end of the day, I guess it's no different if they're going to try to monetize the release of an album in the same way as you used to do by, you know, putting it in a shop. I mean, there's always been an intrinsic sort of value in that sense and uh maybe this is the the digital equivalent yeah it's what is it 16 17 years now since napster and 
the in, the industry has been running around trying to find something that works, um, trying to find a way of monetize music, and I think streaming is is the way, the only way it's going to do that. Um, I I think that okay, there's been a lot of talk about you know cost per per stream, all these things. I think it's 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 the model though is 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 pretty much the only way we're going to. I mean, you talk about albums being a commodity. It's still better in, in that they're still sold in some way. Um, of course, you know we can't though we take people like Jay Z and Beyonce as as the the test <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because they they these are the types of artists that can that can sell out anyway. But yeah, to answer your question, I I've tried them all and uh, I still Spotify is still my favorite just because the the software uses the best. Uh, I find Tidal isn't resilient to things like when you get dodgy signal, for example, if you're trying to stream music. Um, and Apple, uh, I find just the the whole way that, they're, that, that their system is set up, Apple Music, it's the way you kind of... I read a piece about uh, how a guy uploaded his into- all his MP3s, his paid-for MP3s to iTunes, and they, they basically put them on the cloud, wiped out his MP3s, and so if he unsubscribes now from Apple, he's lost everything. <laughs> I saw even better where a guy had uh, his own music and Apple <laughs> locked him out of it because it was copyrighted and he hadn't paid for it. Jesus Christ. The, so these are little problems with the Apple system. There's lots of those things kind of happening. SoundCloud, which obviously is moving towards payment as well, is I think the Galaxy put up a thing recently saying that like they were they there was a copyright claim on, on the Galaxy track on, on a remix of their own music and they were locked out and they were just like this is a fucking joke which it is it feels very much like you know there's a lot of teething problems here uh, it's Google Play is it Google Play? Google Music? Mm-hmm. that's who I feel sorry for because no one ever talks about them except when they put up the Radiohead album by accident an hour before it was supposed to go out and then it was never seen on their uh, platform again I guess yeah that was a strong effort really wasn't it what was that about i don't know someone must have been fired over I that can one presume that probably a lot of people were fired over that one to be honest but, yeah uh, i would agree with dean that spotify is the most intuitive i think like it's very quick and easy um handy enough title i've only kind of messed with a little bit apple play or apple music i'm, I'm, I'm new to but i i love I, I love the radio stations on apple music I think that they're great the the curated ones with the likes of ezra koenig jenny beth from savages run the jewels have their own show here and there uh it's like that is the kind of thing that would make me listen to the radio again. Sure. So from that point of view, that's what a, a quaint concept that is. Listening to the radio, yeah. I used to make tapes, man. I used to like listen to like Ricochet and people on, on 2FM back in the day and like I'd make tapes of the chart music. Well, one step up from the radio. I'm not that old. As previously <laughs> mentioned, uh, Beyonce debuted Lemonade on HBO. Um, here's a quick clip of the album itself. Cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. Sauce in my bag, I see it, I want it, I suck yellow, want it, I dream it, I work hard, I'm gonna till I own it, I twirl all my moves, I go out, I go hard, I go hard, get what's mine. 
Of course, by the time that this podcast airs, you'll have been to Beyonce. Yeah, this is true. So, and you've never seen a guy more excited. This is kid of Christmas stuff. Even right now, you can see you're kind of like, you're, 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 you got your tickets today. Yep. It's a big day. I know. Look, there it is. There's the smile. Well, you did ask me earlier, off air, about that movie, um, uh, Nixon Elvis. Oh, Elvis uh, Nixon. Elvis Nixon, Nixon Elvis. And uh, after after we saw it, um, me and uh, another friend, another head stuff contributing friend, Jesse Melia, uh, we I was we were thinking who would be the equivalent, you know, because Elvis walks into a room in that movie and everyone goes kind of mental. Uh, this is the seventies, um, so who would be the equivalent? And I think the person we came up to was Beyonce, because I think she's she's probably the one in the world who has the power to to not just drive you know teenagers nuts, but fully grown adult humans as well. Yeah, I tend to agree, and, and I can see it in your eyes. Yeah, now that, that has been a, it should be said, a wise I've seen, choice. I've seen full review. Before. Full review on the next episode, presumed be like a, a special episode of its own. I look forward to it. I would expect. Um, in terms of the album itself, though, wait, sorry, you've, you've, you've seen her twice, just once before. Oh, okay. Uh, by the time this comes out, twice. Uh, yeah, I saw her two years ago. In does she uh, have that presence arena. that Dean alluded to there? That, that kind of oh, singular indiv- individual star icon thing. Yeah, okay. ab- absolutely. And like, even if she's dressed identical to you know twenty dancers in a row, you could pick out Beyonce from a hundred yards. It's just one of those things. I this guess is the, I don't know. This is the sound of a, a this is the sound of a besotted man. But were you besotted with Lemonade? I was. I thought it was a fantastic record. Um, I always go into these releases with you know a little bit of I, I don't know a few reservations, I suppose. Um, especially when, like you say you're talking about a star just as massive and as ubiquitous as Beyonce, you're kind of thinking, well, is the music just on its own going to stand up? And I felt it did. I thought it was a really good record. I felt as though there's an authenticity to it that would so easily be lost, um, given the status that she's reached. And yeah, I thought, you know, Jack White sounds as interesting as he's done in years. I thought that, you know, people like James Blake were used very skillfully throughout it. Obviously, there's a story behind the record. There's a story throughout the record. It kind of turns around track eight. Um, there's an awful lot to like about it. And yeah, when we get to the end of the show, that's it's going to be playing a part in my list. Uh, Dave, you were impressed? Yeah, I was, uh, which surprised me because, as I've mentioned on the show before, I and I'm still not totally won over by Beyonce. Like, I mean, I do respect her. I do agree with you that she's iconic. Musically, she's always kind of let me down in that regard. This was the album and the first album of hers from start to finish where I was like, yeah, I'm totally on board with this. I was surprised by how much I was and still am. And I do. you mentioned the story there, the kind of gossipy narrative that kind of followed the album around and obviously that the album itself totally ignited, uh, you know, rumours that continue to be raged over about a tempestuous uh, domestic life with Jay-Z. And I think the album actually goes beyond that the album uh, doesn't get weighed down by that and manages to come out the other side of it and register as its own kind of excellent piece of production and uh, storytelling music as you say the people who are featured on it all contribute incredibly well um the kendrick lamar feature is fantastic like craig i would worry that that's going to end up in way too many ads for movies and possible um footwear apparel someday but for now it's a terrific anthem yeah, I, 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 this is also high on my list. Dean? Yeah, I thought it was great. And uh, I was probably the same, you know, the first time, the first maybe couple of times I listened to it, I was, I was listening to the lyrics so closely. And I kind of thought to myself, 
if this was a new artist, who would I be nearly as tuned in to try and catch things? But is it is, is it is it this this the, is it the 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 tabloid nature of it that's that's kind of drawing me in? And I maybe the first couple of times I listened to it, that was a little bit I felt a little bit uneasy about that. But the more times you listen to it, uh, the more I think it, it reveals itself. Um, say that the the freedom the Kendrick record is is a great record, and also the live performance of that. At, uh, the Black Entertainment Television Awards was that where it was? Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. Oh, um, if anyone anyone who ever says that music isn't as good as it used to be, you need to watch that because <laughs> I'd say the logistics of that in performance were ridiculous. But um, Kendrick's becoming known for that, though. He's become known for these incredibly elaborate pieces uh, on you know award yeah, they, shows. They, they, and the, the, the water it must have been a logistical nightmare, but um, <laughs> they pulled it off. Yeah, uh, I love Love Drought um, because it reminds me of her old Destiny Child stuff. It's a really, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's like an old Destiny Child album cut, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, um, uh, it might still slightly be behind four for me in terms of Beyonce solo albums. But um, yeah, yeah, and it's been a, I think it's been a particularly good year as well for. Uh, Pop records, you know, this is Hollywood something that I've kind of held for the past, you know, e- even last year as well. I think it was very true, and and kind of just when you look at sort of who is at the peak of pop right now, um, that yeah, it has been extremely strong, but I just feel it's never going to get the recognition simply because you can't tell the signal from the noise, because unlike rap, where you might sometimes have you know two or three albums a month break into the mainstream and get radio play and sort of reach that level. With pop, you're just bombarded with it so much that, you know, the few quality albums, you can sometimes end up kind of going, yeah, well, you know, Beyonce's made a great album, but you're still playing Megan Trainer 10 times a week on the radio, aren't you? Going back to that idea of the album being a commodity, there does seem to be a, a, a fresh run of, of you looking at the album as, as a cohesive artistic work. Um, because I remember when I was, you know, a teenager, the pop albums you'd buy you'd have you know one track record one track produced by Timbaland one track produced by the Neptunes and then maybe 10 tracks that were clearly album tracks yeah, you know yeah, filler um whereas you know with with the that that Beyonce record is is it's the same problem with, with Rihanna record and uh I know you like the Ariana Grande one as well um it feels a little bit more I think we were, we we were decrying maybe the death of the album, but definitely in 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 those kind of in terms of the Hollywood pop albums that are coming out, um, because even that you you wouldn't say there's something very there's no there's no really really obvious singles on on Lemonade. Yeah, I mean, Formation was the single, and I mean, in the context of the record, it manages to both it coexists as both a bonus track because it comes right at the end. And you're kind of like, okay, yeah, cool. But it does also cap it off in a nice way. And I kind of feel like in the context of the record, based on what you've just heard, it's a good way to end it because it almost kind of hints to a more positive future and a more kind of positive, empowering thing. And also makes me very curious to see what she'll do next, Uh, which, again, I never thought I would think about when it comes to Beyonce. I was always like, yeah, whatever. I mean, uh, we're going to hear from Wallace Bird later on about her favorite record of the year so far. And when I interviewed her a few years ago, she was raving about the self-titled Beyonce album and was like, seriously, she was like, end this interview now, hang up on me and fucking go and listen to that record. And I still haven't listened to it. <laughs> I will, I will, I promise I will. Uh, but yeah, so maybe I need to 
invest properly in that album because a lot of people raved about that one. I'm shocked by how much I like this one, and I genuinely can't wait for the next one. Cannot wait. As you just briefly mentioned, the uh, kind of whole tabloidy thing with Jay-Z was used to sell this record, or at least kind of second-hand, as it were, uh, to the second degree. The, the tabloids were using it to sell this record to us. Um, we have to, right now, talk about Swiddleston. <laughs> and uh, We're freshly removed from the July 4th bash. Cullum, you're a Taylor Swift stan, so I can only presume you've seen the photographs. What's a stan? A stan is someone who stands, like Eminem stands. Oh, right. Super fan. I thought you were mocking my Swiddleston and kind of like, I don't know, calling me a kind of like stupendous fan or a stan. Well, I guess it's one of those two things, but you are a big Taylor Swift fan. Yeah, I like Taylor Swift, I must say. Proud uh, to be one. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the photographs from her July 4th bash? Yeah. We're going to turn into Heat magazine for just two seconds here. Um, I read a very long piece on Vulture, which is the New York Times's arts offshoot, uh, which is an interesting... New York Magazine. New York Magazine, sorry. Um, he is correct. I was wrong. Uh, and it's kind of like one of those things where it's... Sometimes it's really interesting to read, but they do have a lot of gossipy aspects to them. And they wrote this gigantic piece about Taylor, like analyzing all of Taylor Swift's Instagram posts and from that thing. And, like, you know, to my fucking... For my sins, I found myself reading the whole thing. But, like, you look at those photos, and Jesus Christ, man. I mean, talk about like stage management here. Oh no, listen, I mean I'm 90% sure that it's not real. Yeah, it's not real. But even but but even it doesn't matter even if it's not real like I mean big deal. I mean like they're getting the publicity that they have set out to get one way or the other whether it is real or whether it isn't real. It could be a big fucking troll effort on their behalf to show how easily manipulated we are the public are etc. But it makes her less and less interesting as an artist to me. Uh as a huge fan, what about you? Yeah, I I don't think it makes her any less interesting as an artist because when I say that it's not real, I actually think it it is not just scripted for publicity. I think it's going to be used in a video. I think it's going to be something with an end game, basically. There has to be an end game. Yeah, this feels has- this feels like at that time Walking Phoenix went crazy. Yeah, and precisely. then Casey Affleck had directed a documentary about the whole thing. Like it really feels like, as you say, a music a music video is coming, and that's singularly based on uh, Tom Hiddleston's. A sleeveless I Heart TS t-shirt. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I just assumed that was I, I Heart Terror Squad. <laughs> you know, Dean, you mentioned this. There was huge controversy when Taylor Swift was bringing out a merchandise line in China where any mention of Tiananmen Square or 1989 <laughs> is completely banned. <laughs> and there were literally t-shirts with just I Heart TS on one side and 1989 on the other. So um, that lucrative Chinese market continues to elude Miss Swift. Then, <laughs> yeah, indeed. And um, we move from names that you can't possibly escape to uh, names that you actually couldn't even find this time last year. Uh, some exciting debuts uh, in the past six months, and uh, none more so than this.
Yeah, that's Lu and Beneath the Concretes, taken from their debut album, Spiritual Songs for Lovers to Sing. And of all the albums that we've reviewed on No Encore so far this year, that has perhaps been the highest rated, if, if I didn't drag it down completely. I think you dragged it down, because I think we all gave Beyonce an 8. Yeah. And we gave Rhys and Gano family two eights and a 9. Bantam, mm-hmm. uh, who you'll also hear from in this episode, what, he gave that a 9. So I gave Le Lost Under Heaven 9. Craig gave it 9 at a push, and you gave it like a 6. Yeah. So I think you brought it down, man. Yeah, it's the shouting that does it for me, but it is an <laughs> album that, yeah, you absolutely loved. Yeah, at this point in time, in the middle of July, this is my album of the year so far. And I mean, it's, I think it's just terrific. I love every single thing about it. I don't want to repeat myself too much here. I would just implore people to go and listen to it. I think it's fabulous. I think, I think as a debut album goes, if you're going to judge it on those terms, it's so far ahead of a debut album that like it's one of those ones where you should totally hold it aloft and go, okay, Jesus Christ, that first time of asking, you've come up with this? Fucking amazing. Um, I was a huge Wu Life fan. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, Lost Under Heaven is the new project from Ellery James Roberts, who was the Gravel Boy singer in Wu Life. They were a band that left us too soon. Uh, he didn't think so. He felt that he had more to say in a different kind of capacity. And as regards what he's doing now, he's gone a bit kind of poppier, uh, very synth heavy. The album is co produced with the Hacks and Cloak. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it starts off. In this kind of, you know, like early morning light kind of way. And a man just kind of, we, we've talked about the idea of an album telling a story from start to finish and not worried about filler. You could argue there's, there's some filler here. You could argue there's filler on every fucking album. But for me, from start to finish, this is a triumph. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, like I say, not particularly bold over myself. It's it, the voice. You can't get past the voice. I can't get past the voice. They're doing interesting things otherwise. Um, I mean, I was equally, you know, kind of half enthused, half disappointed with the end result of uh, Minor Victories, the kind of super group, I suppose, uh, including bits of Mogwai, Slowdive, Editors, and Editors Brothers. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those records that could probably have been an EP. Yeah, I think it should have been an EP. And, yeah, they they're, they seemed just a little bit constrained in, in, in terms of what they were doing. As far as debut albums go, uh, you'd have to say that, yeah, an EP would have possibly done better, but if they keep going with it, um, it is interesting if they kind of push the envelope a little more. You know, when I was selecting some of the things that stood out for me this year, there were things that I can remember loving. And I went back and revisited them. And, uh, you know, are you going to regularly revisit this album? Example. Is it something that you put it on? The ultimate example for me is Anony's Hopelessness. Which yeah, is I can see that. Stunning record. We listened to that because we were reviewing it. We paid a lot of strict attention to it. I will say that replay value it kind of falls down a little bit. I think was it you who made the uh, the crack about? I think it was Pitchfork had like their it's the songs of the summer, and they threw four degrees from that on there. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, you're really gonna play that at a fucking barbecue, aren't you? It's true, and I mean, even even though if you're going to sit down and listen, maybe this is a testament to the album because it's not meant to be easy to listen to. It's not meant to be fun. It's meant to be challenging. Absolutely, yeah. but. Yeah, I don't find myself going back to that album at all. Uh, Anoni, as you say, I think is a fantastic record. I do think it's 9 out of 10. I do think it's going to be top of a lot of critics' lists this year. Mm-hmm. But it is one of those things where you respect and admire the album more than you can quote-unquote enjoy it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it would be miss as well to say that uh, in terms of debut Irish albums, uh, one of the better ones came from our debut podcast guests, uh, Overhead the Albatross. Well, before we get to the actual discussion, uh, I have some audio for you. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we've we've talked about him before on the show. We've talked about Vinnie Casey. 
we've given him a pretty unfortunate nickname. I forget what it is. We'll we'll, we'll forget it for this episode. But uh, despite what we've said, he's a friend of the podcast, and he has his own thoughts on what was the best record this year. And here's Vinny. Hi, everybody. Uh, Vinny here from Overhead the Albatross. Um, I've been asked by the incomparable Dave Hanrady and uh, all the No Encore team to um, to select my, my favourite album of the year so far. Um, the album that I've been listening to most and enjoying most um, so far this year is the uh, second album from Flume uh, called Skin. Um, it's a monster 16-track album. Um, I've been a big fan of Flume's ever since his uh, his debut album came out in uh, in 2012. I thought it was um, a, a, a really an amazingly inventive and um, an accomplished debut. And uh, the uh, the the new album doesn't disappoint. Um, it's got some amazing collaborations in there with the likes of Beck, Little Dragon, Tovlo. Um, and most importantly, it's filled to the brim with absolute filthy, dirty beats. Um, so that is my favourite album of the year so far. Thank you. Flume, then. Yeah, we saw him at Forbidden Fruit. What do you think? A flume? He's not too much the song with Vin Staples is a fucking belter Smoking Retribution to be fair Vin Staples can make an awful lot of things a lot better though he can yeah Flume to me like I mean I not to step on on, on, on Vinny's uh, Craven and Gutless opinion or anything but I kind of feel like um, it's fine it's just another producer album isn't it yeah you know there are some sort of redeeming factors to it and like I say if someone's like Vince Staples gets involved more to the point if a producer reaches out to these guys yeah it can step their music up massively I wasn't particularly blown away by it but uh, in terms of you know apology to Vinny I was blown away by their own album Learning to Growl uh, arrived uh, long overdue as people will constantly point out <laughs> they're, but, they're uh, so annoyed about that but it was worth the wait make a quicker record next time lads people won't be focusing on that narrative too much it really was worth the wait though and I'm so proud of them they've been friends of ours for quite a while now and it's been a pleasure to see them finally deliver something that is worth the hard work that has gone into this record and also to see it so critically acclaimed across the board there's a lot of love for this band and for good reason. Live and finally now on record, they totally have found their sound. The whole post-rock thing, that tag, a lot of bands that kind of delve in instrumental music aren't thrilled to be put in that category. And I totally understand why, especially when you listen to something like Learning to Grell, which is very much, you know, not to labor the point here too much and be a bit punny, but it's its own beast. It really, really is. This is a fabulous record. And it was... As I say, it's easily, easily one of the highlights of the year and not from just, oh, it's Irish point of view. Like, it's a fantastic record. And what's more, it stands out in a year where cutting-edge rock records or even interesting rock records seem to be at a relative minimum. I mean, I can't be the only one who sat down before this show and racked my brain trying to think of, you know, what you would call, you know, regular guitar bands who've made excellent albums in this year. Just me, or was it pretty sparse? No, we were saying earlier that it's pretty bad at the moment in the rock in general. My, going to put a positive spin. Let's see, my favorite one is probably Whitney's album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it kind of reminded me of you know, that movie Crazy Heart. <coughs> uh, 
starring Jeff Bridges. And Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when he talks about, you know, he knows when he's written a good song because people think they've heard it before. Uh, that It kind of reminded me of that. You swear listening to it that these are all old Neil Young songs. But uh, it's it's from the uh, one of the guys in it used to be in, in Smith Westerns, which were a band I really liked as well. But uh, this is just a really, you know, old-fashioned, you can almost hear the kind of dust coming off some of the arrangements. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really solid record. I mean, very definitely the flagship release in the world of rock this year would have been the Radiohead album. I would struggle to call that a rock record, though. And I mean, like, just to kind of uh, expand on Dean's point and your kind of overall thing there, I feel like at the moment, rock and indie rock, etc., it's on life support, really. And I know we see this every time in The Enemy, every week, rock is dead. But I kind of feel like maybe it is. And maybe that's okay for now. Because um, Pitchfork's review of Glastonbury this year contained a section in which they basically wrapped up by saying, I think Laura Snapes was the journalist, she said that pop stars, rising pop stars versus their quote-unquote Indian rock contemporaries that are currently uh, moving up themselves. Pop stars are so much more interesting right now. They have so much more to say. They're more interesting people. They're doing more interesting things. And I think it's... And that goes and like uh, within and without the, the musical sphere that they operate in. And I feel like that is totally spot on. Uh, when we're being fed the likes of Catfish and the Bottlemen as you know your new saviors of rock and roll... Uh, the Strokes released a fairly average EP. Frank Turner is going to release another Frank Turner album. It's very, very barren. And what's more, you can see that reflected, I think, as well in, in, in the live situation. I mean, you know, we're just a couple of days away from Longitude where, you know, the National, I love the National, but, you know, they've been doing this for a decade in, in terms of, high, of headlining festivals. You've got Kendrick uh, headlining the Friday. Uh, you know, a genuine kind of prodigious talent who's changing the game as he goes. You've got Major Lazer who, okay, are not my cup of tea at all, but dance, it has to be said, has changed significantly in the past sort of five, ten years. You look at the um, RHK gigs that were going on uh, just recently, and you have Sigur Rose, you have Disclosure, and when they needed a rock gig, it was the Stereophonics. <laughs> It really doesn't say an awful lot yeah. about the health. There is right there now. is good stuff happening. I mean, obviously, you know, to point to Bitch Falcon, who were our guests recently. Like, I think they're a fabulous band, and they continue to make very interesting waves with good old fashioned guitar, drums, bass, and kick ass vocals. Like, it is out there, but it's in terms of what we're being sold. Uh, the leather jackets are starting to look a bit worn for me. Rock is just not a genre that seems to reward people to do with who do original things even even the radiohead album is is a very good album but it's a radiohead album <laughs> uh, yeah, radiohead it, might as well be its own genre right right um and you know i, I don't know if I, is it is it the is it the listener base who aren't willing to kind of push themselves out of out of their comfort zone is it is, 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 is these the same people where the reasons why anything that a gallagher brother does is the will instantly yeah, get a lot of a lot of clicks. Or it's if wild. anyone who turns up at Glastonbury without a fender is ready to be bottled off site by the people who say you're not rock. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to balance. Oh well, I la- this is last year now, but I did have a lot of fun on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you often when... do. <laughs> <laughs> well, when uh, followed you know, in on Twitter, he's good value. After uh, I I went to Glastonbury last year and uh, like I went to see the Kanye gig, which. Which I thought was great. A lot of people didn't like it. It's well, uh, well known. 
But uh, I, I went home. I was on home to watch it on the Sunday night, and I watched the Who headline. And I, I just Twitter searched the Who real rock. Yeah, a lot, a lot of dads on there. <laughs> it's nice to see Beyonce and Stone Roses playing on the same night in Dublin and Beyonce presumably having about 40,000 more people there at that gig. Presumably. No, yeah, double the crowd, no doubt. Yeah, well, there stuff. you go, Stone Roses, exactly what we're talking about. They've released two songs that sound like they fell out in 1988 and uh, <laughs> people are going nuts. Yeah, indeed. Um, we decided that we wouldn't be the only ones uh, ahead stuff to have a bit of an input on what the year in music has been like. We extended the invitation to the rest of the crew, and here's what they thought. This is Paddy from Headstuff. Um, my favourite album of the year is definitely Kanye West's uh, The Life of Pablo. Um, I think Ultralight Beam is probably the best song of the year as well. Um, but love him or hate him, Kanye is a genius. And um, yeah, it's the most listened to album uh, in the short months that it's been out. Um, Definitely my top album of the year. Hello, my name is Alan Bennett, and my favourite album of the year is Radiohead's A Moon-Shaped Pool because it's great and I can't stop listening to it and uh, Radiohead have um, no right to continue to make great music because they've been going long enough and most bands that go as long as they're going uh, tend to just get lazy and crap. (laughs) Look at Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, but no, they were like, we're still brilliant and here's an album, so shut up. And I haven't, I, I have listened to it uh, pretty much constantly since it came out. Um, and I won't go into detail because it takes too long, but uh, you should listen to it and and then listen to it again. Okay, bye. Hi, my name is Sarah Marie Griffin. I'm a sometime co-host of uh, the Juvenilia podcast on the Head Stuff Network. And my album of the year of 2016 is, predictably, Lemonade by Beyonce. Um, When it dropped, I uh, sat there wide-eyed watching the uh, extended video and listening to the Warsengire poetry in between each track. And my mind got blown out of my head. And I pretty much watch it and listen to it at least once a day and find something new in it every time. Uh, My favourite song from it is probably Freedom, but also probably Hold Up. But... It, it it changes because the whole thing is so cohesive and uh, I don't feel that any of the tracks could, not that they couldn't work in isolation without each other, but more they all move together like one big Kraken symphony. Um, I'm also going to go and see Beyonce perform Lemonade Live next week. So I'm uh, real excited. Yep, that's my that's my album of the year uh, is Lemonade by Beyonce. Hello, I'm Alan McGuire, um, humor editor of Headstuff.org and the host of Juvenalia. And my album of the year is Next Thing by Frankie Cosmos. Um, it's only out a couple of months now, as most albums this year are. Um, but it's like the, exactly what I like. It's like very short songs with guitar, bass and drums and a female vocal. And it's about being in love with someone who doesn't like you very much or doesn't know, maybe. And it's just, it reminds me of like Beat Happening and uh, Brantmobile and all those cool early 90s alternative bands that I missed out on at the time and I'm making up for now. So, yeah, that's it. Frankie Cosmos. Next thing. That's, that's what I like. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, so a few interesting uh, thoughts there from our Headstuff colleagues. And, of course, um, Alan McGuire, a presenter of Juvenalia, and all the rest of the Headstuff podcast network uh, available, well worth listening to. But we'll get back to our own business right here. And Dave mentioned 
earlier, one of the standout records of the year was Rusangano Family and Let the Dead Bury the Dead. This is what it sounded like. So you gotta turn the lights on, live a light song for the light that he lived. So you gotta turn the lights on, live a light song for the light that she lived. So you gotta turn the lights on, live a light song for the light that they live. So you gotta turn the lights on, let it shine on the light that you live. So you gotta turn the lights on, live a light song for the light that he lived. So you gotta turn the lights on, live a light song for the light that she lived. So you gotta turn the lights on, live a light song for the light that they live. So you gotta turn the lights on, let it shine on the light that you live. I landed an island in 2001, but at the same time that Dre dropped 2001. 13 years later, the album's done. Wisangano presents non-national with the attitude, volume one. I'm disrespectful, I spit on beats. I got my voice back, I'm D-O-C, I'm G-O-D-K, N-O-W-F. But my players look at me like I'm their OG. I stick to myself, no BBC. Used to play my rhythms on PS2 before I got played on BBC. Where would I be without JME? Without knowing me, help me see that I couldn't be anything else but me. Half Yoruba, half Igbo, lyrics like that. These guys, or at least uh, God knows and my name is John, had a great first record. But there was always in my head a sense that that album was, and it very literally was, kind of about finding identity and sorting their identity. And that once they had that as musicians, that they could do some sensational things. And I think that with the addition of Merle now, um, yeah, they look to be very much the real deal. Absolutely. And for anyone who was paying attention at that time, they have completely lived up to and possibly even exceeded expectations. And I recently had the pleasure to see them live at Body and Soul. Um, It was a difficult day because the weather was atrocious and the main stage that they were on during the afternoon wasn't receiving an awful lot of punters. But they got a decent crowd um, given the circumstances. And did they hold back? Fuck no. They went for it to such a degree that I was like, my God, I need to see this live in a smaller indoor venue. I just need to be part of this energy. And I think energy is kind of the word I would go to for this record because it starts off, it puts you in a place, it puts you in a place where they want to put you through both the excellent production work and kind of, you know, beats and samples that My Name Is John comes up with, but also the two MCs uh, are a wonderful contrast to each other. And I kind of feel like it's, it's a record that just continues to interest me the more I go back to it. Uh, and again, as their official debut, I find myself once again saying that a debut shouldn't be this strong, but it is. Yeah, and same. I I, I really like the first one, uh, but this is just is it's such a good album, and it's I think it's such an important album as well. We're seeing in in, in the Western world at the moment just this this rise of of right wing um, politics and and some would call it fascism, and even we're seeing it here in in terms of. You know, we're getting political parties started on the basis of trying to kick out immigrants out of this country, restrict immigrants coming in. So as myself, as the son of an immigrant, uh, the son of a refugee, to hear the story, these guys' stories of of, of their own, their own how they see themselves, their own identity, how they're very proud. Guy, they're proud guys who were born in Africa who see themselves now as Irishmen. Um and you know that 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 idea of 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 identity and and these are stories that just aren't being told in Ireland at the moment. And this this, this kind of human factor that goes along with with this rise in 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 people who are want to push back against that. Um, I think everybody should listen to it, even on the basis of that, and also because it's it's great album musically. Um, that's the one thing for me is that 
I mean, you're dead right in everything that you said there. And in fact, I can remember talking to God knows last summer when he said the amount of kids that he has coming up to him in Limerick or Clare just kind of going, I have bars, I have bars, and telling their own story in the same way. And he was saying that, you know, in years to come, as more and more uh, immigrants and the children of immigrants uh, come of age in Ireland, but also bring some of their influences from their homelands, it's just going to be an explosion of uh, of really, really interesting things happening here. But aside from all of that, this still stacks up against anything that's being produced anywhere else right now. And proof of that was when they were at South by Southwest um, a couple of months back and, you know, tore the place up to an audience that is used to hearing, you know, socially aware hip hop, that is used to uh, having, you know, the, the, the children and, and the descendants of black immigrants telling their stories. These guys can can match anyone out there right now, and I think that's the most exciting thing of all. Oh, yeah, Irish hip hop is going in that direction. This album isn't homework. Uh, like some of John's beats, are, he's got beats that go all the way from something you might hear doom rap on to these Af- these Afrobeat guitar lines woven in. Um, I just, I, 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 just, I, I feel that this idea, I suppose, of Irishness and this concept of the default notion of Irishness has for generations been white Christian um, it, it's obviously changing very very quickly so, so this is the kind of record I think that you could put on maybe in in, in years to come as, as feeling a little bit like an intersecting point you know I think I just think they they for me it, it's it, it definitely spoke to me and I, I just feel they nailed that aspect of of what's happening in Ireland right now in a way that just bangs. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it doesn't sacrifice for quality for it. And I absolutely agree. Yeah, it, it, it feels in, in many ways as though, uh, yeah, it could be one of those records that becomes kind of the, the, the fork in the road, as it were. And they're very good live as well. Mm. Absolutely. It's a tu- definitely a tough balancing act. And like, as you say, they've lit some very interesting blue touch paper. Incidentally, for anybody listening, I would recommend you go to Pitchfork and look up a Dean's article on Irish hip hop recently, which features Risingana Family, and it's one of the best reads of the year. Um, well done, thank, man. Thank you. <laughs> well done, sir. In, in terms of uh, other things from this country that stood out in the past 12 months, we already mentioned Overhead the Albatross. Uh, who were, yeah, probably, you know, amongst the top releases of the year. Um, it's really refreshing to see a band like Key West finally kind of open up that political platform and complain about, you know, the music industry and the system and the man holding them down and taking away the ramps from Temple Bar. And I, for one, am behind that band to the hilt. This sarcasm corner, listeners. Um, <laughs> do you have anyone in Ireland that you actually do like? Oh come on, plenty. Like I mean, like geez, like, um, oh, that that's not a fair question. That like, there's just too uh, no. many. No, no. <laughs> no. In fairness, I mean, it should be said though that I think this year does actually look to be backloaded in Irish music. I think this year is backloaded in, or sorry, backloaded. Yeah, as in you think it, there's more the, to come. Well, I mean, I looked today, and in the inbox in the past week has been like the new Roisin Murphy album. There's been announcements. Oh, about sorry, him. which is excellent, by the way. Yeah, announcements of albums from Two Door Cinema Club, from The Divine Comedy, from Lisa Hannigan, James from Cassie David, James Vincent McMorrow. This is a We Cut Corners album that we were talking about last week with the guys. There's 
and that's just what's been announced so far. That's good, though, because this year has been a very front-loaded year in general, particularly, obviously, on the international level. So, yeah, it's not that Ireland's gone dormant or anything, but, yeah, perhaps it is a sleeping giant, as you might uh, point out. Yeah, at the same time, though, it's really nice to see uh, bands like Little Green Cars uh, walking on cars, even if you confuse the two. Um, Hermitage Green, people like that. Basically, the the notion that, you know, A, that nobody buys records anymore, and B, that Ireland doesn't have some sort of ecosystem for actually promoting bands and, and actually pushing people uh, some way. Uh, is it a bit samey though perhaps is it like the actually you've mentioned there I mean fair enough Little Green Cars have the harmony thing but I thought Ephemera was a fairly weak album they're not a band that interests me that much and I see a lot of people rave about them I don't think they're bad or anything but I just I don't get it quite as much whereas as for Walking on Cars is just your standard we want to be the next Codeline or Coronas, Hermitage Green, or are they not that band that were on Second Captains or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean like I don't know how inspired I am by those acts being the ones that are getting the crowds, but then again, it's radio play, isn't it? You know, it's radio songs. Like that little green car, oh, no, sorry, that walking on cars. It is confusing. Song that they had out, I've, Speeding Cars, that's what it's called, Speeding Cars. That's by just, walking on cars. That's just f- by Walking on Cars. Yeah, Walking on Cars with a song called Speeding Cars. Fucking confusing. That's a bad song. That's a desperate attempt to rip off Snow Patrol, but hey, it worked. They're selling out big gigs and they're doing the three arena and it's it's just, I guess, we're always going to have an act or a band like that in Ireland. And that's fine because there's so much other stuff going on that, that will interest me. So, Anything stand out for you, Dean? That Roisin Murphy album. Uh, I, I think that I, I like the direction she's gone in with this. There was always I, I I love those early pop bangers as well, and the album she did last year was was pretty great. But this one just has this much more kind of haunting. Um, you know, say there's no obvious real singles on it. Uh, I think she kind of there's always she always she kind of steps away from that more gold frappy feel. And there's, there's songs on this that that they sound like these real almost like traditional jazz workouts, but she's using her typical uh, toy chest of instruments. Like with with you know the synths and the drum machines and that, uh, I don't know if it's it's not actually officially out yet, is it? But I it, will, it's it out as of this podcast being out. It's out. Yeah, yeah. Get that, and we'll be reviewing it in depth in the next episode. And yeah, thumbs the, up for me though. I think it's terrific. It is a great album. The one thing, unfortunately, that you're reminded of as you listen to a Roisin Murphy album and you think, God, she's going in a really interesting direction now. Is that the voice in the back of your head pipes up and goes, yeah, and she's not going to fucking do it anymore for the rest of her career. Like, this is all you get. You know, we're not going to get this sound for another album or for another three album or four albums like you hear some artists do. But that's great. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. And also, like, a very singular artist, as I wrote in my Drowned in Sound review, where I said that, you know, she does what she wants to fucking do. Um, She doesn't care about radio. She doesn't care about kowtowing to convention. And we need more of that. Hey, this is Roy from Bantam. Um, my record of the year so far is 99.9% by Kate Trinata. Um Yeah, because I love the, the collaborations with Vic Mensa and Anderson Pack. They're great. Some out there hip hop. Uh, just bits of jazz there with Bad Bad Not Good and the out and out mad house craziness of Light Spots, which I absolutely love. So. I keep coming back to it. There's bits and pieces that I keep discovering in it, and it's great.
Hi, this is Nigel from Bitch Falcon. Uh, my album of the year uh, is David Bowie's Blackstar. Um, apart from being his final album, it was a great collection of songs. Um, it's perhaps his finest work almost because of what he did and the people that he brought into it um, with the Danny McCaslin band. And I was fortunate enough to see the Donnie McCaslin band perform in New York in January. Uh, and they performed uh, a Bowie song, which was a nice special memory for me. Uh, but yeah, Blackstar, um, I burnt the arse out of that for a good three months before I finally stopped listening to it. Because I listen to it every day, several times a day. Um, yeah, it's just amazing to hear Bowie... And then having those drums from Mark Giuliano over his songs, it was just incredible. Uh, yeah, deadly album. Now, before people at home are thinking, Jesus, Dave sounds way too positive today. <laughs> um, I'm on my second can. We're not just going to talk about the good things in here either. Um, deal with a few of the disappointments as well. And uh, none, I think, in the circumstances more disappointing than this. On your ways, front way, back way. You know that I don't play. Streets not safe, but I never run away. Even when I'm away. OT, OT. There's never much love when we go OT. I pray to make it back in one piece. I pray, I pray. That's why I need a one dance. Got a Hennessy in my hand. One more time before I go. Higher powers taking a hold on me. I need a one dance. Got a Hennessy in my hand One more time for I go Higher powers taking hold on me Baby, I like your soul Yeah, that's Drake and from the album Views We panned it here on this podcast So for the sake before we get into it Dean, your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I haven't even made it all the way through it yet. It's <laughs> I don't blame you. I really don't blame you, man. And do you, and do you know the worst thing, Tape? He started listening to it the day he came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing about Drake is he used to be really corny and fun, but now he's kind of corny and not fun at all. Um, I think Drake has... He, he's... I think he has, he has certain gifts. He's... He is he is he is a fair rapper, um, and he's had some great songs, and he's had some great releases. Uh, this is just so, from what I've heard of it so far, it just it's so meandering and and overblown, and just we were talking about you know Ru Sangano's music having a message and having you know to a beat that you can enjoy. This has neither of those things. I I, I have no in, I little interest anyway in in in. Drake's personal life when when he's going to rap about it in such a plodding just just unenjoyable way um I think it's just been indicative of, of Drake has been on a, a kind of a, a little bit of a this is this is feels like the the end points of what he's been moving towards from al- an album like Take Care which is which is a, re- a really really good album with some really really strong singles this has has nothing that you could, you could put on from what I've heard so far. But yeah, even from any enjoyable. kind of, you know, intellectual or interesting point of view, what I find really, really strange about Drake is that the guy's clearly charismatic and he clearly also has a brain. I mean, like, for example, 
you read uh, today his statement about the most recent fucking police shooting of a black man in the US, which is an epidemic, obviously, at this stage, and it's horrific to see it. But Drake, you know, wrote this little open letter, and like you're like, where's that? You know, where where's this passion? Where's this articulation of, you know, he's talking about how scared he is uh, as a black male. As an, and you're kind of like, okay, right, you know, you could be making interesting statements with your music because people are listening. Views is the most streamed and listened to and purchased or whatever album in, in a long time. It's breaking records constantly. The advertising is everywhere for it on a regular basis, even now, months after its release. Drake has the ability to kind of use his soapbox and fair enough, if he doesn't want to be, you know, that kind of an artist, where is, as you say, the charisma of, like, a track like Best I Ever Had, which, fair enough, it's juvenile, but at least it's interesting, and, like, it moves, and it's a bit of dark humor, and it's fun, and it goes somewhere, but Views has nothing. Yeah, I hate this album. <laughs> Sometimes I think he uses that intelligence for evil, though. Uh, he's, where he's, he's, his style is very, very cynical, and he's been accused... Uh, a lot of biting other people's styles. He kind of reigns in, I think, things that are going to work in a commercial sense. Um, the reason why, I think the reason why he's so popular is he has, well, he, it's because he started with Lil Wayne uh, sign, signing him and because he has legitimate star quality. Um, he has the kind of star quality that, will tr- that could transcend the genre. Uh, but unfortunately... <laughs> On this record, he just, he's just decided to use that. I don't know if he's mistaken darkness and and so-called emotional depth as kind of artistic credibility. Yeah, it sounds like the album that a teenager would write at times, doesn't it? As in, like, you know, if you cross hip-hop and emo, you get something along the lines of Drake just... Oh. <laughs> and there's uh, you, you imagine Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh being able to sing along with the record at times, you know. Poor it's, Eeyore, it's being a bit like that, dragged under the bus. We do, by the way, ma- mention this as biggest disappointments because we're not just going to rail off our worst albums of the year. Um, but in terms of pe- things that you were actually expecting something from and didn't get it, Dean, is there anything that sort of strikes you? Oh, um, well, Chance the Rapper's. Well, I, I would I would lay that as a big disappointment because of the A plus 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 reviews that it got. Um, excessive, definitely yeah, excessive. Yeah, I, I, I like say I like Chance. I never loved acid acid rap, um, and I didn't like Surf at all. Even though that's kind of non-canon um, because it was recorded with his 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 jazz sideband, but. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It, it just felt like one of those records where people were afraid to say the actual case. It was not, it was a, a, a preachy, sterile exercise. And it, it just didn't do anything for me. Chance is likable, so I think a lot of people wanted to kind of go with that feeling. Unfortunately, the record, I think, is quite empty. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Uh, we should mention that Joshua Hughes, who writes for the website and is kind of our unofficial fourth member of No Encore, despite living thousands of miles away. And never having contributed to the podcast. He will someday. Uh, he's a big fan of both Views and Coloring Book, and we forgive him because we're very progressive people on this podcast. Yeah, in terms of things that I had some expectation this year, I must say I was disappointed by ASAP Ferg. Um, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have that one as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get around to listening to the record until a week or two after it came out, but for a guy who seemed to, as we kind of alluded to earlier, have that idea of you know pushing a lot of new things forward, he almost just went too far, I felt. It was a bit of a jumble. It was quite 
self-satisfied almost in a way and it didn't have any sort of clarity or, or sense of purpose that I felt you know an album quite a while in the making was going to have yeah because his first album um was was so good and it was so it was so unique it, it drew in his, his you know it had all these you know Jamaican influences it was clearly very very rude in east coast traditional east coast hip hop it he i think i thought with that first record he really pushed himself onto this next plane uh, outside of being he was always i think he's he's kind of still known as the second in command really in ASAP mob um so with this one i was i was really hoping he was going to kind of double down on all that and, and even push it further but this one we're talking about maybe drake being a little bit cynical uh, this was was pure a run for radio play um he, he went for these these club bangers and in which he just came across as this this kind of really faceless vocalists um just being drowned out by this this music that could only possibly sound good if you were absolutely out of your face in in a club at 4 a.m i mean you know when you have missy elliott and you, and you fuck it up um <laughs> you're you're online for a disappointment of the year indeed and uh we we are happy to bestow that honor on asap ferg um we reached out to wallace bird just the other day to ask her what stood out from the year and Here's what she has to say. My favourite record of the year uh, so far is David Bowie. And I, it's it's just a landmark album. If I was, if I knew that this would be my parting gift, uh, Black Star, I would be so honoured to be able to do something like Black Star. Um, he really, really digs in deep. He's candid, tentative, uh, brash, uh, funny. It's it's like. Um, staring into the unknowing and going bravely it's such a such a beautiful album um it sounds better with every listen i can listen to it any time of the day and to hold the artwork in my hands is is really you know you're holding something so meaningful um seemingly if you expose the artwork to um to the light that you get this cosmic um uh, a cosmic sky will unfold, which, uh, you know, st- stuff like that's incredible thing to do. And um, I'm pretty sure that there's a 20 minute, uh, minute hidden uh, hidden noise track, which I stumbled upon on First Listen. Um, and I think there's a hidden track on the label as well, but my needle won't go that far. Um, yeah, what a what an incredible thing to do. What an amazing thing to do. What a good album. So that's my favorite this year. So obviously, yeah, it's difficult to even think that the year started on this note. Um, David Bowie releasing Blackstar and then just three days later, uh, news of his death emerging. It was, in many ways, just one of the most incredible and surreal situations that I can remember, certainly in my time in news journalism, but as well just as a music fan. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's. Uh, I think it was one of those cases where, you know, we saw the good. I think social media can do as well. Whereas you had uh, the people were able to have this outpouring of grief, and had they had a they had an outlet to put out put out the way they were feeling for these for people that you know they don't know personally. Um, in a way that maybe that didn't exist before, and I guess I don't know. I found it kind of comforting 
Uh, I don't know if there's anything really I can add to to all the the eulogies and the ones I've actually written myself as well, but um there was a mass outpouring. You could feel like a communal thing, particularly with Bowie and with Prince. Uh, I remember going to work my old job on the day that Bowie, the morning that Bowie passed. It was the first thing I saw that morning. So, like, the news only broke at like five a.m. or so our time, and I was up about half seven, and I was just looking up like generic news, and I saw that, and I was just like, "What?" And I kind of did a double take. But I remember going to work on the Lewis, and everybody was blaring Bowie. Like, you could hear it out of people's headphones. You could hear people finding out for the first time, and. Uh, the office I was in, you know, we don't, we didn't play music. We played like five songs on a Friday at five o'clock. Someone would select them, but one of the guys in work was like, "I'm playing Bowie in the office today from start to finish," and that's it. And everyone was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And everyone kind of made a playlist together, and there was that kind of thing. And it was what a funeral should be. You know, it was a celebration of a person's life as opposed to a mass outpouring of just grief and internalization. It was this, in a strange, strange way, much like the album itself is. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful kind of parting gift. It's funny. I woke up to your message that morning, which you probably sent to me when you saw the news. <laughs> it was probably Bowie something really died. blunt. Was it like, Bowie's dead? Yeah, it was literally, holy shit, David Bowie's dead. And that's what I woke up to. That's how I heard the news. Um, unlike you, we didn't Sorry, play David Bowie. Sorry, by the way, for, for being the guy to break that. That's not that's a good right. thing to do. You know what? Good friends to hear that stuff from. It's probably best. We didn't play Bowie at all in the office that day. And it was probably for fear of tears. Um, I eventually listened to some tracks on the bus home and, uh, yeah, did well up. One strange thing that I found was that when Prince passed away a couple of months later, no joke, I found it really difficult to find anything fresh to say that I hadn't used, at least in terms of generic comments, uh, that I'd used for Bowie four months ago obviously given the nature of my work I have to go on radio and talk about these things and so you talk about an icon you talk about groundbreaking you talk about everything from you know pushing artistry so far beyond music to their interaction with identity and with gender politics with sexuality and everything else and yeah I mean I mean as much as you want to call each of them a completely unique figure as they were uh, the similarities are, are striking in so many ways. The one thing that Bowie's death has also affected so hugely, I think, is the legacy of Blackstar. And it's the one time that I'll say I'm really, really sorry that we didn't all do, you know, a Neil McCormick or an Alexis Petridis and write the review within 24 hours. Because basically within 72 hours... There's no way we'll ever be able to evaluate that album in a completely um, impartial or, or objective way again. Yeah, but I think the the his his own mortality was hanging over the album, so I don't think they're two things that can be that separated. Can be, yeah, separated. Yeah, contextually, it is always going to be held up in that regard. And um, the review that Andrea Cleary wrote for Headstuff is an, an absolute excellent piece of writing and she spent i think the first four like paragraphs of probably an eight or nine paragraph review by explaining her own relationship to bowie and i kind of feel like you know when you read a review and you're like oh well there's only x meant about the record i think in that circumstance it was it was the only appropriate thing to do and she nailed it but i mean that album's hard to go back to and I don't mean to say melodramatic but it is no it's incredibly difficult it's very tough to go back to it even a track like lazarus you're like holy shit, he knew this, he wrote this, and there's 
all kinds of kind of hidden things on there and it's again it's like that anoni record in as much as even on first listen it's not set up to be a banger you know you're not well, like sure. oh these 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 are the old pop hits coming back it's a com- it's a complex piece of musical work and frustratingly it felt like he was tapping into the upper echelons of his talent once again uh, after kind of coming back with a very decent album in the next day but not something that you know would you know make you fucking scream from the rooftops or anything and to do that and to uh, capture this at that stage of his life knowing what he knew it's extraordinary it is and uh just though as you mentioned uh a review and i'm not just blowing smoke up the man's arse because he's sitting across from me but uh dean did write absolutely beautifully following the death of david bowie so if you haven't read that uh, go check that one out too. And Prince, by the way, like I feel, I feel like this entire episode is like us going, Dean, you're so great. <laughs> he but, is uh, pretty good. To be he's fair. pretty, he's pretty, he's pretty solid. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's. Uh, well, thank you for publishing some of my Prince stuff. Ah, Jesus Christ, man! I mean, it was a wonderful read. I mean, it, it is one of the things where, like, in the wake of such tragedy, we've seen some incredible work arise um, all across the board, both in music and in, and in journalism. And I guess the only thing that you can do is pay tribute in the best way possible and I think a lot of writers this year have really stepped up to the plate in that regard. I think just finally um, talking about earlier the the length of time an artist is at their peak I don't think Bowie is anything near that near, was near anything near his peak but to make an album as good as that at the age he was I think is just a testament to just this naturally instilled genius in his DNA Indeed Um we now go to 1970s Serbia, to a phone box where we find Kev from Red Enemy. Hi, this is Kevin from Red Enemy, and my favourite albums of the year so far are Goldjura's, Magma and Nails, uh, You'll Never Be One of Us. Both albums, totally different, but very, very aggressive and great music, so check them out if you're a fan of heavy music. Woo-woo! I'm shocked that Kev went for a metal album. Are you? Incredibly so. To be fair, Gojira are, are fucking beasts, man. They're amazing. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, so it's time that we really get down to business. Um, Our uh, songs of the year. Okay, so are we going to, like, you know, top five this each, or what do you want to do? You know what? I, I think you can just throw things out. I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of overlap. I'm sure there's also going to be me struggling to remember specific songs. Well, this is the thing. We said before, front-loaded. I mean... I hate to be the guy who says there's too much music, but Jesus fucking Christ, these six months. I mean, like, it's, it's great. I'm loving it, but it's overwhelming. Again, anyone who says music is well, used to be better than it is now. <laughs> or it's in trouble somehow. Yeah, it's like uh, music is amazing right now, and uh, I think that is reflected in the fact that I found it really, really tough to... Uh, it's extremely hard to, to get, narrow things down. To get to five albums, I had to cut out some stuff that I really, really liked. I've managed to have... I've got my five songs... And I've got five honourable mentions. I got my five albums. And I got five honourable mentions. Should I be ruthless here and just keep it to five and five? I feel well, like... I, don't, I I I don't have an honourable mention. Okay, okay. I'll uh, I won't <laughs> indulge, uh, and I'll 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 go with my um. I'll go with. Or, 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 how, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go like number five? Just throw them out, Dave, for each person, or the five in a row for each person. Five in a row. Okay. Uh, at number five for me, it's disintegration anxiety by explosions in the sky. At number four, it's pop fucking banger of the summer Into You by Ariana Grande number three Tilted by Christine and the Queens which is one of the most hypnotic songs I've ever heard it's a wonderful piece of work number two Beneath the Concrete by the aforementioned Luh Lost Under Heaven 
another club banger. And number one, it shouldn't surprise people that Kanye West is at number one for me. Ultra Light Beam, however, I think is an example of Kanye's generosity in which he gives up most of the track to other voices, in particular Chance the Rapper, who delivers the verse of his career. And this song to me, I'm not religious at all. I'm atheist and I would go to church for this song. It's perfect. So strong first, recommendation is you're ever going to hear, I think. So we're going to do songs first. Yeah. yeah. Songs. Okay. Well, five, I have uh, Church by BJ, the Chicago Kid. Again, it's a song about church, but it's I think it's one that really, really captures that uh, the duality of, of being kind of taken in by maybe the, the, the fruits of, of very non-religious things and, uh, and trying to square that with your with how religious you are um in a very very smooth way uh four is safe by dumbfounded it's uh it's a song written about um the oscars the oscars controversy this year from the perspective of an asian american who is tired of seeing non-asians or just is tired of not seeing asians um depicted on screen Three Times Move Slow by Bad Bad Not Good uh, featuring Samuel Herring from um, that's not a preview of that tune <laughs> no that was my phone going crazy apologies um, Cullum has gone into business for himself Bad Bad Not Good I would have had Bad Bad Not Good on my best albums of the year but it's not actually out yet but Times Move Song is a very good song two I've got Ultra Light Beam as well for the many reasons Dave said and at number one I've got 30 Keys by Ka which is uh, a really really beautiful song about um, being kind of trapped in 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 the drug dealing game, um, which is it's a really really bitter, just beautiful piece of music. Um, so check that out. For me, at number five, I've got Kanye and Ultralight Beam. <laughs> it was what a song. Not an incredible album, like I said earlier, but yeah, there's no denying it's a fantastic track. At number four is Overhead the Albatross and HPG. I think it's just one of their perfect sort of. Um, illustrations of, of just what they can do and, and how far they can push things and how many different ideas that they can uh, somehow marry into something very coherent. At number three is Ariana Grande, actually, and another song, though, Greedy, which is just uh, celebratory and exciting and, yeah, something that I think is, is lacking from uh, from a lot of pop and radio right now. Touch It is better. At number two is Anderson Paik and The Bird. I think as Ooh. a song to open an album, it just kind of grabs you. And yeah, put it this way, you sure as heck ain't flicking off uh, <laughs> anytime soon. And at number one is the standout song from one of the most pleasant surprises of the year for me. It's um Garbage, and Even Though Our Love Is Doomed. It's oh, a wonderful song. I thought the album was really great. And... Yeah, even though it was sort of a, a faint halfway through, it's a song that just stands out, and you'll remember a long time after you've uh, you've stopped playing it. So yeah, I'm thrilled that, that that's your number out. one. I, I I'm pleasantly surprised. Good, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song. Okay, let's wrap it up with the albums of the year so far. And we'll go uh, with you, Colm. We'll stick with you for your, your, your top five in reverse order. Before I have time to find them. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scroll through that phone as fast as you can. But before, what? okay, before while Colm is strolling through his phone, uh, here's another take, this time from Zach from the excellent Within a Mile of Home podcast. Here's what he thinks was the best thing he's heard this year. Hello, Dave and No Encore podcast. This is Zach from Whammo podcast. Thanks for asking me to 
divulge what I think is my album of the year, which is an album by a band called Pine Grove, who are from New Jersey, and the album's called Cardinal. You'd want to have a few Kleenex ready if you're going to listen to this. That's my advice. Get it in. Cardinal, it's out in Room for Cover Records, out of the States, and it's absolutely unreal. Uh, if you want to check out our podcast, check out Wamo Podcast on Twitter, SoundCloud, whatever. Loving the work, lads. Keep it up. Peace. That was Zach. That was his choice. Will that be on yours, though, Cullum? I don't think so. No, it's not. Uh, it's number not. five, I have the aforementioned Rusangana family, Let the Dead Bury the Dead. At number four, it's Anderson Paik in Malibu. At number three, I have James Blake and The Colour in Anything, which I thought was a truly fantastic record. It takes balls to make an album that's double the length of anything you'd released before. I think it also takes balls to back that a kind of sparse piano and vocal arrangement will, for the most part, carry it over the line. But uh, it very much did. At number two is Overhead the Albatross and Learning to Growl, which is just a standout. People will say that as a fan of instrumental music and the rest of it, that I might be slightly biased there, but I truly do think it, it stands up against anything in recent years. And at number one, it's Beyonce and Lemonade. It's just, <laughs> it's a record that I think will stand the test of time. I think it's a record that uh, blows the doors of pop music open in a way that hasn't been done in recent years. I think... In those circumstances, it can be very difficult to make a record that's going to stand up to scrutiny, that that's going to meet the sort of standards people set. And it did so with aplomb. So, uh, yeah, Beyonce gets my vote. Dean, how about you? Right, I'm going to try really concise. Um, at number five is YG Still Brazy. Some of the best G-Funk beats in the last 20 years married with this really creeping paranoia that YG is suffering, having been shot during the, the recording sessions. Um, four Anderson Paik Malibu Satin Smooth Anderson Paik number three Kanye The Life of Pablo it takes a special kind of genius to make something this ramshackle sound this good uh, two is West Side Gun Fly God uh, one of the most bitter cold rap records you're going to hear um, the hell with song structure but it's really really great and number one is Terrace Martin Velvet Portraits uh, Martin has been a one of Kendrick Lamar's key weapons in his arsenal as a, as a producer musician. Here he makes uh, an album that covers everything from jazz to rap to uh, old R and B ballads. Um, it's just it's just a really really great listen, a really really long record, but a really really great listen. Okay, and I'll wrap it up uh, with five albums that we've talked about already, so I won't dwell too much upon them. In at number five for me is Lemonade by Beyonce. In number four, Overhead the Albatross, Learning to Growl. And I think the fact that they placed above Explosion in the Sky in my top ten and my absolute love and adoration for Explosion in the Sky should tell you exactly what that means. And if you haven't heard that record, Jesus Christ, do it now. Number three, um, I've got Hopelessness by Anoni in there because I do feel, like I say, while it might not be the most obviously enjoyable record on the years, I think it is one of the most important ones we're ever going to hear possibly genuinely ever. I, I think it has an awful lot to say and it's a wonderful accomplishment. And I do think it will be a lot of people's number one come December number two Kanye West of course Life of Pablo uh, he would obviously be there and number one if you've been paying attention at all it is of course Spiritual Songs for Lovers to Sing by Lost Under Heaven so uh, that about wraps it up for me I guess the closing question real quick probably a rhetorical one has it been a good half year I think it's been I think we've been spoiled 
Yeah, I think it's been outstanding. And what's more, as as we were saying, you know, when you look at some of the things we've got to look forward to, when you look at some of the things that, you know, there seem to be new directions in which various genres, various artists are heading, uh, there should be a shitload to look forward to in the coming six months as well. Generally been very, very good. Uh, definitely guitar music, not so good. But falling by the wayside. Falling by the wayside. If it was a horse, it would have fallen on the last hurdle. But yeah, plenty, plenty to look forward to as well. Okay. Uh, well, listen, that's been No Encore for this week. This very, very special episode will end in a very, very special way by having no exit music because I kind of feel after all we've talked about, it would be unfair to kind of throw something random into the mix. So uh, until we come back next week, which we will, Cullum's two-hour-long Beyonce review we will have. Uh, Dean, thank you so much again for coming in. No problem. Should we play um, oh, he, he, Party sh- All the Time by Eddie Murphy? Changing as the rules. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> That's an inspired suggestion, and I don't even want to know why. Let's just play it. Cullum, what do you think? Why not? Why not? Okay. okay. It's the greatest uh, Eddie Murphy song of all time. My name is Dave Hanarati, no encore, blah, 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 blah. You know the fucking deal. Later. Hold up, as... um. My boy Ezra Koenig would say, it's your boy Craig Fitzpatrick um, who's been missing all podcasts. Obviously, I'm coming on kind of as a super sub um, just because, you know, popular demand. I was asked, why not? Um, I've also been reviewing half the year because that's what we do now. So I'm going to give you my top five favorite albums of the half year so far. Um, might as well go to sending order just because, you know, that's the most exciting thing. So at number five, well, it's the Queen Bee, as people like Cullum refer to her these days. Uh, Beyonce, Lemonade, an album that surprised me. You know, I enjoyed parts of her kind of self-titled record and bits and bobs here and there. But, you know, bar a track or two, nothing really connected with me emotionally, I guess. Um, maintained Losing You, her sister's, you know, song is better than anything Beyonce's ever come up with. But Lemonade comes along, concept album about Jay-Z being a bit of a dick, allegedly. Um, I was kind of rolling my eyes already. But it holds together superbly. It's a great record. It's, you know, a huge array of styles, huge amount of collaborators. But she brings it all together and just owns it so impressively that I think I finally got, like, the force of nature um, and the kind of, you know, shrewd operator that is Beyonce, finally. A um, bit late to the party, but, you know, catching the best bit of the party thus far. Uh, so number four, great summer record. Luh. Lost Under Heaven with the awful title of uh, Spiritual Songs for Lovers to Sing um, but yeah this really kind of proved that there's um, life after woo life um, I'm not actually reading notes that just came to my head it's a, it's a really good line I think you guys should definitely stick that in uh, Ellery Roberts of that kind of late you know briefly great Manchester band going all synth poppy but staying as kind of grandiose as ever and he has this new partner Ebony Horn who kind of puts her stamp on it just as much as he does um, the chemistry's there. It's plain to see and plain to hear. Um, and just kind of, you know, wonderful melodies, a big hearted record and just full of joy. So a lot of happiness and joy in this record. Great summer record and want to hear more from those guys. Unlike number three, though I do want to hear more um, from Anoni, Hopelessness isn't a great summer record, but it is a great record. The best voice in music today, probably, I'm going to say, uh, maybe Paul Buchanan from the Blue Nile. Um, but this is just, you know, protest music done right, which is maybe one of the hardest things to do in music. That's, you know, affecting, but it's never an effort or particularly draining. 
a listen possibly because the songs are so strong and you have that voice to fall back on and it's not cheesy it's ne- it doesn't feel preachy it's just like here's the kind of shit state we're in um so powerful is the word um so you know as a major kind of anthony the johnson's fan this is something else entirely but equally as beautiful and the runner-up is my boy james blake i'm gonna have to stop saying my boy constantly um it's the color in anything his third record his best yet combining kind of everything that's been brilliant about his previous stuff into this this magical hole and it's a it's a long one um but i think he it kind of really needs that length and that room to breathe i've talked about being about it being that kind of r&b quiet storm thing where you know he really just luxuriates in the melodies and the grooves and the presence of kind of justin vernon and um Frank Ocean is strong in this one, which is a very, very good thing. Um, And Blake himself is just a force to be reckoned with now. Um, I think the week Radiohead's album came out, I was listening to this more, and that kind of says a lot. I mean, maybe about the new Radiohead, but no, as a massive fan, I should have been getting stuck into this. I was just hooked on James Blake. And number one, drum roll, maybe if you can insert it, probably not. Um, Inevitably, it's the return of Craig on Kanye. Um, Kanye West, The Life of Pablo. I've been disappointed with this record. I've defended it. Um, I've been then obsessed with it pretty much. It's a bit of a glorious mess. Uh, there's some absolute cringe on it. There's some jarring bits. Um, you know, it takes a few left turns. I don't know. Is it a kind of Stones-esque uh, exile on Main Street type thing where somehow that's the whole point. Um, it already has this whole mythology around it. And it's number one because, you know, at its best moments, it shines much brighter than all the rest because Kanye is that good. He's a genius at this one thing. Maybe not the shoes, but definitely musically. Um, I will say you're going to want to go with my track listing, which is the best way to go. Um, it's one of the intended track listings, so I'm not insane. This is the only record I've done this with. But yeah, you're going to want to start with Famous. Uh, you're wanna, going to want to roll onto Father Stretch My Hands. Uh, it's just glorious. That Kid Cudi <laughs> melody is the best of the year. Um, and if you want that track listing, just shout at me on the street or on Twitter or something. But um, either way, Kanye West is the king for the year so far, in my opinion, because my opinion matters. Um, so that's it, guys. I'll see you next week. And um, back to the lads in the studio, I guess.
This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello. <laughs> Sky Sports News, top of the hour. <laughs> Breaking Paul Pogba to Manchester United this hour. This is for Bush Gardens Williamsburg. Spot titled BGW slash 21 slash census slash SN slash July 4th slash save up to 40% slash FC slash tickets slash radio. It's a 30-second spot, and the code is VBGW021039R. Nothing ignites your senses like the European adventures and world-class thrills of Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Hear the gravity-defying drops and speed of our record-breaking coasters. See the world's most beautiful theme park as you stroll through our elegantly themed villages. And treat all your senses to the live concerts, nightly fireworks and coasters in the dark at summer nights. June 25th to July 29th. Save up to 40% on tickets and fun cards. Hurry, offer in soon. Restrictions apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.